get set up, but while I do, I want to invite everyone to open up their Bibles and study with us. It is not my words that I will be espousing or giving today. It's not my words, but it is the words of the Bible, and hopefully the Bible alone, and that uh, not in anything that I have to say. Um, will be found to be an error, but the way that you can help you out with that is by checking all of the words that I say. And if I say anything that is incorrect or in error, please come up with a, a kind heart, a loving heart, and you can tell me that. You can tell me that, Jonathan, I, I have a question about what you said today. Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to spend a lot of our time in the book of Acts and really just looking at one person in the book of Acts. Now, there are if you're looking at the screen, you're saying the example of Philip. Okay, which Philip are we talking about? We've got two. Philip the Apostle and Philip the Evangelist, who was counted as one of the seven. You see our subtitle, Acts 8. Well, that narrows it down to one. We're going to talk about Philip the Evangelist today. Uh, Philip the Apostle, best I can tell, um, is not named in the book of Acts. So we're going to look at Philip the Evangelist. We first find Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 6, so I invite you to turn there with me, always checking me, checking to see if what I'm saying is correct. Acts chapter 6, we first see Philip the, what we call Philip the Evangelist, uh, brought onto the scene. Let's begin reading in chapter, or chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the numbers of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint amongst the Hebrews against the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples together and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so we see Philip being named amongst this group of people. And the same pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, who we can read about in Acts chapter uh, 7. Uh, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So here's the first time that we see uh, Philip come to our attention in the book of Acts. And he's chosen for this benevolent work. He's looking out for uh, widows. He's making sure that everyone gets what they need. We read that he was a man of honest report. We read that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. Um, but we'll read later on that Philip's job with the early church did not stop at, we'll say, quote, serving tables. As the apostle said, that they did not uh, think it was best for them to merely do. Of course, they would have done that. But they thought it was best for them to go and um, be praying and diligently studying with the word. But Philip even is, is not content to just serve tables, and that's evident from what we read later on in Acts chapter 8. And so when persecution is arising, the, the disciples are scattered, and Philip goes to Samaria. Fast forward with me. So we read of Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is eventually stoned. Uh, he is martyred. And we read that Saul was there consenting to his death. Saul would later on go to become uh, the Apostle Paul that we have a lot of his letters of. But he was there at the death of Stephen, who was one of the seven. And a great persecution, this is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. 
The great persecution arose against the church was, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, and about them carried Stephen to his burial. And so we skip to verse 4 to see some more things about Philip. Verse 4, and therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip, the same one uh, that we just saw in Acts chapter 4, he was chosen along with Stephen and others to do a work of the church. He went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. They were hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy. We can go on to read the story of um, Simon the sorcerer as Philip is, is talking about when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. There are lots of things that Philip is doing. Continuing on, we can read of how Simon the sorcerer asked to pay for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the uh, apostles Peter says no. Uh, the, the gospel is not for sale. And then we have a, a story that we, we might be familiar with, the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is Philip the evangelist that is, is talking with the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, we're going to read this passage. This is Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Actually, I'm going to skip back to verse 25 just to get some context. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert, and by desert this does not mean waterless place. This means a, a desolate, unpeopled place. There, there's no one living here. So there, there's no one living here. And verse 27 reads, So he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet of Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a lamb, as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened up his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, whom does this prophet say this, of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. And now as they went down the road, they came to the water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. With, and he baptized him. We can go on to read that Philip was called away to go somewhere else. He goes to Ashdod, uh, which is in the north. Uh, and then later on in the book of Acts, we see that he has four daughters who are prophets. He has four daughters that are prophets. This morning, we're going to focus on um, primarily Acts chapter 8. And we're going to look at examples that we can see of Philip. Things that Philip did that we should be doing ourselves. We're looking at the proper attitudes that we can have and proper techniques that we can use to teach others. So proper attitudes. We'll have four that we'll look at. Proper attitudes of obedience. 
We see this in Acts chapter 8 very clearly in the verse 26 and 27. When God commanded Philip to leave Samaria and go down the road that led to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Gaza, Philip did it. No questions asked. God told him to do something. Uh, it was made known to him that God wanted him to do this thing, and Philip went. We read this in verse 26. Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And verse 27 says, so he arose and went. Now contrast this with someone like jo Jonah. God told him to go somewhere. Jonah pitched a fit for a little bit. And then he wanted to get on a boat and go the opposite direction. And then finally God has to reprimand him. We don't see this with Philip. Philip is obedient. The proper attitude of a servant of God is when God asks you to do something, you should do it. You're obedient. He obeyed God without question. And this is also interesting because of what we read before we got here. So if you think of what Philip was doing before he seemingly returned to Jerusalem or Samaria, he had great success with all the multitudes. Read back through. Um, we're going to look in... Acts chapter 8, and this is starting in verse 4. They were scattered everywhere. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ. Multitudes with one accord heeded the words of Philip. So Philip is having great success in the cities of Samaria, preaching the gospel. There are multitudes coming to him, multitudes believing men and women. And God calls him and says, there's one person I want you to go talk to. We don't see Philip saying, well, God, I'm saving thousands of people. I'm saving hundreds of people in Samaria. Hold on for a minute. What we see is Philip unquestionably obeying God. It may have sounded strange. It may have sounded unlogical to a human mind. But what we read Matthew saying, recording the words of Jesus, it's better that a shepherd go after one lost than stay with the 99 that he knows that he has. If we're going to be effective workers of the Lord, we have to be submissive. We have to, and we have to at all times, no matter the cost, we have to obey God. And we have to do that not because it's what we want to do, we do that because that's what God wants us to do. And if our attitude is correct, we will want to do that as well. And we see that in the example of Philip. The will of God must always take precedence over our will. It would have been easy for Philip to say, I'm going to stay right here. I'm, I'm saving hundreds of people. That's a good thing, right, right, God? But what we see is that Philip obeyed God, went down, and did exactly what God told him to do. The second example of the proper attitude that Philip had was that willingness to teach one as well as many. God commands him to go about 50 miles outside of where he's at. God commands him to go about 50 miles on foot um, and meet up with someone. He was willing to travel that distance. He was probably willing to travel more in order to achieve God's mission. And the example that we can take from this is that the proper attitude towards God takes a love of mankind. Philip did this, one, because he loves God, but Philip did this, two, because he loves mankind. And we, that's evident with the way that he acted in the beginning of chapter 8, talking to the multitudes, helping them. Um, Men and women, families were coming to Jesus. Philip had a love for mankind that's evident by him not being content with the multitudes. He was going after this one person that God told him to go after. We must be willing to leave the 99, as we've already stated, and we have to be able to go 
after that one. Uh, make that in an application to us today. It's very easy for any of us to have biblical conversations with those in this room. There's no disagreement there for the most part. If I say that baptism is the means for salvation, and I have that conversation with you, so yeah, Jonathan, I agree. Baptism is the means by salvation. That's easy. I walk out the door and have a great day. I talked about the Bible today. That's not what the scriptures are telling us to do. The scriptures are telling us to have hard conversations with those we might disagree with. And so what I want us to implore us to do is don't be content with having the conversations with the 99 that are saved. We should be doing that, making sure that each and every one of us are okay. We're constantly studying, but there's that one that's lost. We have to be okay not being, um, not teaching within the multitude and be okay going out and getting that one. Another example that we see of Philip is that he's unprejudiced. And this one is very important, and we see this through the action of the kind of person that he goes to talk to, various characteristics about this person. So if we read, this is um, still Acts chapter 8, verse 27. He arose, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, he had charge over all of her treasury and come to Jerusalem to worship. This is a very interesting individual. He is Ethiopian by nationality. Um, he is a man. He's also a eunuch, which we'll talk about what that meant for the Jews in just a second. Um, but even though he was a eunuch, he was of some kind of political stature because he was over all of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. And so what this means to Philip, an example we can take from Philip, is that even though the Ethiopian was a proselyte, and what a proselyte is is someone who is not ethnically a Jew that has come into uh, the fold of Judaism. They have recognized that God is the creator and they are maintaining the law as a proselyte would. But the thing with proselytes was that the Jews did not want to recognize them. If we go to um, Deuteronomy chapter 23, we can see what the Jews' law towards those, of, um, those that were eunuchs was. Those were eunuchs could not enter into the assemblies. And so here you have this man who is really an outcast. He is, um, his nationality being, being Ethiopian, he's a thousand plus miles from home at this point in time. He's a thousand plus miles from home. He's traveled to this place. We do a whole lesson on the, the uh, devotedness of the Ethiopian. He's traveled a thousand miles to go worship God. He's doing the best he can. He's reading out loud the word of God. Uh, he either brought scriptures with him or purchased them in Jerusalem. But Philip does not look on him any different because, we've seen number one, Philip is obedient. God told him to find this man. And so he found this man and he's teaching the gospel to him. He was basically in the same categories as the, as the Gentiles. No ordinary Jew was going to talk to him about his soul. If you think about Peter, uh, it took a miracle for Peter to even go into a Gentile's house to teach him. And so Philip... We see here, unquestioning. God said, find this man. Philip found that man, an unprejudiced talk to him. Yet without hesitation, Philip was going to teach to a Gentile. And so what this means for us is if someone is looking poor, no money, we're still willing to talk to them. If someone is rich, lots of money, Still willing to talk to them. If someone has a different skin color than us, 
still willing to talk to them. It does not matter because as we've talked about a little bit this morning, Christ is the Savior of all mankind. Let me, let me say that again. Christ is the Savior of all mankind. Now, not everyone has accepted him as their Savior. But Christ is the Savior of mankind, as we saw in 1 Timothy this morning. We look at the condition of the soul. We don't look at the size of the pocketbook. We don't look at the color of the skin. We don't look at where they're traveling to, what they're doing. Everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs salvation. So we have to be like Philip in that accord. We are unprejudiced. We are obedient. We are willing to teach others. And we have an urgency to reach others. When the Spirit told Philip to join himself to the chariot, did you know what Philip did? There's a couple of times, we talked about bodily exercise this morning, there's a couple of times we see that exercise actually taking place. Um, an amusing one to me is when Peter and John are running to the tomb. John makes certain that in his gospel he says that he was a little faster than Peter. And that's, that's amusing to me. Uh, but then Philip, what we see Philip doing here, Philip ran to meet him. Now Philip took his time and waited for the chariot to come, because Philip had to overtake that chariot. Philip ran to the chariot in order to meet them. He knew that the, his mission was urgent. His mission was urgent not just because God had told him to do this, I'm going to do it as quick as I can. We're not promised the next day. Philip, I think, had an understanding that he was not promised five minutes, so he needed to get to that man quick in order to teach him the gospel. He didn't waste any time because there's no time to waste. And I, I'm going to say that this kind of Enthusiasm running headlong to overtake a problem is very much needed today. A lot of times we want to say, we'll wait for the problem to get to us and then we'll handle it. But there's a need for us to overtake the problems with a sense of urgency so that we can be obedient to God. Because this was Philip's obedience that is being shown here. The early church was obviously very zealous when it came to soul winning. Um, and we, we need to restore that same kind of zeal today. Zeal is a, a burning, hot desire to get something done. The church desperately needs that today. So proper attitudes that we see that Philip had, he was obedient. He was willing to teach one or many. He was unprejudiced, and he had an urgency to reach others. And that's all fine and good. We can have the correct attitudes all day long, but if we do not back them up with the proper techniques... Nothing will get done. So proper techniques. What did Philip do that we can take as an example to ourselves and we say apply to our day-to-day -day lives? How do we apply the correct attitudes? So I don't think that there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have at least, I'll say, three of the four correct attitudes. I put three out of the four because I'm, I'm not always the obedient one. Three out of four, though. If we have three out of the four correct attitudes, we should be having all four. How do we properly apply those and show those in our lives. Well, that's the techniques that Philip shows. You ask questions. Philip came up to the Ethiopian. He's overtaken him at this point. And once again, it's going to be difficult for me not to preach on the Ethiopian eunuch. But we see that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading out loud the scriptures. Trying to understand. He had a copy of that with him. That's very pricey. It's very pricey. But the Ethiopian eunuch was, was willing to do those because he was, as I read, trying to devoutly follow God with what he had at the time. So Philip overtakes him, and Philip begins to ask him a question. Philip ran to meet him, verse 30 says. And he heard him reading the prophets of Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? That is a beautiful question to ask. 
It doesn't accuse. It does not. Um, it does not imply that I know what it says that you're reading, but you don't. It says you know what you're reading. What are you, what are you reading? I do this to kids all the time. I want them to get uh, into to reading books more. What are you reading? What book are you reading right now? It's a very easygoing question, but Philip asks questions. Not only does it serve as a, an icebreaker to begin to talk to this stranger, you're in a, a, a desolate country, there's no population around, you're on a road, you see someone reading, you say, what do you read? But it also shows a concern. It says, I, my ears perked up, I heard you were reading something, and I'm concerned about what you're reading. Because Philip would have known that this was Isaiah. I think if we would do the same thing, if our ears perked up every time we heard someone make a biblical comment and we said, well, what are you reading? What are you saying? What are you writing about? What? I'm not on Facebook, but what about this Facebook post? You can ask him. Probably not on Facebook, but in person that tends to work best. If you ask these questions, not only does it break the ice to get the conversation started, it shows a concern, but I would argue that we would get more souls interested in Christ. There are souls that are interested in Christ, as, as we see with the Ethiopian eunuch. He was interested in what God had left for mankind. That's why he's reading Isaiah 53. But a lot of people in this world don't have a full understanding of what Isaiah means when he's writing these things, as the Ethiopian eunuch does. And so questions arouse a greater interest in study and discussions. Proper techniques, we have to ask questions. The second thing we see that Philip is doing is he knows and he is using Scripture. It would do us no good to hear someone reading, um, he, led us as a he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shears are silent, so he opened not his mouth. It would do us no good to hear that being led out, read out loud if we didn't know that was Isaiah. If we heard a scripture being read out loud and we didn't have at least something that we knew about that. So proper techniques, we have the attitudes, we ask questions, but if we don't know the scriptures, we can't use the scriptures. Most definitely. And if we're trying to use the scriptures and we don't know them, well, that's how error gets started. Proper techniques for being like Philip is we have to know and we have to use the scriptures. To be effective teachers, we have to use the scriptures. Um, we, we cannot remain ignorant of God's word. There are those that will go their entire Christian life and still be on milk. And let, let's, go, let's go to Hebrews 5. Let's, let's read that. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 12, talking about spiritual immaturity, the Hebrew writer is. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've not come to need, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is obeyed. We are not trying to be unskilled. We are trying to show proper techniques to save souls. And if we have proper techniques to save souls, then we are eating solid food, because that belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Reason of use. That's why I put know the scriptures. That's good. You're starting to chew on that food. But through the use, the digestion of that food, you can use the scriptures correctly to help save others. And this is important. We can turn to passages like John 8, Romans 10, um, Hebrews 10 as well, James chapter 1, and we can see that 
It is through the scriptures that we can find Jesus. It is only through the scriptures that we can come to know Jesus. That's why I started off this morning saying that hopefully I'm not saying anything of my own accord. I desire only to say the words of the scripture. And I know that each and every one of us, if given the opportunity, would, would say the exact same thing up here. And that's because we preach Jesus. This is, this is the next technique. So we ask questions. We know the scriptures. We use the scriptures. And we preach Jesus. Well, how did Philip preach Jesus? The eunuch asked him, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And then uh, he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which we read was this, part of Isaiah 53. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opens his mouth and began at this scripture, Isaiah 53, and preached Jesus to him. The purpose of our preaching and teaching is to preach Jesus. We're not to teach opinions. We're not to teach think-sos. We're not to teach feelings or anything like that. We preach Jesus. And that's a very difficult task to do, not because the, the content is hard, because it can be difficult for mankind to only stay with a straight and narrow path. It's very easy to bring in, well, I think this, and this person thinks this, and I feel this way when we've given a path. We don't have to worry about that, which is one of the beauty of, of the gospel of Christ is that we don't have to come up with anything. All we have to do is see the path in front of us and walk it and try and bring others on that path. The only message that can save is Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, looking at Jesus as our salvation. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice what he says next. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not that no one comes to the Father except if you say this creed that mankind wrote in 1584, or you say this doctrine or this didache that was written or, or produced in the 1300s. We go back to our source material, which is the words of Jesus, and say, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Acts 4 tells us a very similar thing. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. I'll read scriptures to you in just a second once I get this page turned. Acts 4 and verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. He's talking about uh, to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him this man stands here before you whole nor is the salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. It is not Martin Luther by which you're saved. It is not John the Baptist by which you're saved. It is not Alexander Campbell. It's not any of these people by which you're saved. You are saved by the name of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has to be our drawing power. Jesus is our drawing power. His word is our message in order to get others to hear us. And finally, another example of Philip and techniques that he uses is he looks for more opportunities. I would say at this point in time, Philip is hot. If you think about when, when Christians are, they're hot or they're cold or they're zealous. I, Philip's probably really hot right now. He's just 
teach the gospel to hundreds of men and women in the cities of Samaria. He's gotten them to be baptized. He's gotten them to believe. God talks to them. And an angel of the Lord says, you need to go save this man. And he does that by getting him to be baptized. And so when that happens, Philip is not content just to sit back and say, my work is done. He's not content to go back to just serving the tables, just making sure that the work in the church gets done. What he's content with is looking for more opportunities. He was not content with just winning one soul. And after the baptism of the Ethiopian, I stopped reading, but let's continue reading on uh, towards the end of the chapter. They've gone down and they baptized him, and this is verse 39. When, and now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, or Ashdod, in the north of uh, Israel. And passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. He preached his way to others. If we are going to be successful fishers of men, as we're called to be, we have to keep on throwing our net. Someone doesn't catch one fish and say, I'm done for the day. If you catch one fish, you're going to keep throwing it out because you know they're out there. You keep throwing your net. You keep throwing your line. If we are fishers of men... We have, cannot be content with saving one soul, having one conversation, attending one service. We have to be content with always looking for more, always looking for the next thing. The whole world lies before us. We're, how many people do we have here today? We'll say 40s, 40 or so people today. We have people absent, we're probably a little less. 30s to 40s people right here. And there's 7 billion people. We call it a rounding error because there are other Christians in the world teaching the exact same message that we're teaching this morning. We can say there's 7 billion people out there that need salvation. You can look at that in two ways. That's a task that can never be done, or that is a lot of opportunities for it to happen. We should be the second, because that's what Philip does. Philip sees that there is a multitude before him. He preaches to the multitude. He says the words of God. He gives the doctrine of Jesus Christ, and he wins over souls. Did everyone who he talked to believe? Probably not. Did everyone that Jesus talked to believe? No. 5,000 followed him because they wanted to be fed. But then Philip was called away, and he teaches to one. And he saves that one. But he's not content. He goes on, and he tries to get to others. So let's review this morning as we come to a close. We've looked at proper attitudes that we're supposed to have. We see all of these in Philip. Proper attitudes of obedience. Proper attitudes of teaching one or teaching many. We have to teach. We cannot be prejudiced. Proper attitude of being unprejudiced, looking towards every person, not as what they are on the outside, how much of whatever that they have, but the soul on the inside. We're looking towards the content of their soul. If they are saved, well then we'll continue to preach the gospel to them because it should exhort them and exhort us. But if they are not saved, well then we need to be spreading the gospel to them. Urgency to reach others, we've talked about that as well. We have to be zealous. We have to run to meet problems. Run to meet those rather than waiting for people to come to us. And proper techniques. We ask questions. We invoke those conversations. Always ask questions. That, that's not just a ask questions to others. That's within, within our group, ask questions so that we can constantly work, uh, learn and study the Word of God. Know and use. The know is very important. We have to know that he was reading Isaiah 53 in order to preach Jesus to him, but use it in a correct way. 
finally preach Jesus, and then look for more opportunities. So as we close, I just want to say that we need more Phillips in the church. We need more people like Philip who are not content with the role that they are given in the church, but they want to go more. They want to go the extra mile. They want to seek and save the lost. And I want to remind you, Philip was not an apostle. Philip, we might not think of Philip as, as famous as Paul, as famous as Peter, but Philip is told to us for a reason. We might not think of him as in this upper echelon of upper echelon of um, those in the faith. But Philip is very important. He is dedicated. He is an effective servant of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be just like Philip. We can too be like Philip. We can be servants of God. We can be workers for the Lord um, by employing the proper attitudes and the proper techniques. So hopefully this has been an encouragement to you, not as a, in a way to say that uh, we are not doing these things already. But just a reminder that we have brethren that did this 2,000 years ago, and we have brethren today that still need to be reminded to go out and do these things. Hopefully we can all go out this week and be just like Philip. And when we come back next Sunday or on Wednesday for our Bible study, we'll each have someone with us that came to services because we're being just like Philip. That's our, that's our call for this week. Um, I want to extend the gospel to anyone uh, that's listening this morning. Uh, the gospel that, that Philip preached, that Peter preached, that Paul preached, is that of Jesus and him crucified. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins by going down, being fully immersed in water, and you'll come up a new child of God. You do that by uh, confessing your sins. You'll call on the name of Christ, recognizing Christ as the one and only Son of God, the Savior of mankind. And through him and his name and the watery grave of baptism, you can be saved. God also extends uh, the invitation to any and all who are a part of his kingdom, who are children of his, that have erred away. That it's a straight and narrow path. We said this morning that it is should be an easy path to follow if all we've got to do is walk, but sometimes we veer off. And so we extend an invitation this morning for anyone who might need prayers for the congregation or anything to do. We ask that you would come forward while we stand and while we sing.